Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome to the show. I don't know if he agrees with me, but he'd be out there commenting frequently on the Roland Martin show. And now he's here today. He's been here. You know, I feel like, uh, you, you know, you've been part of this family a long time, uh, back in the day. Let me welcome to the show, back to the show, Dr. Omekongo Dabinga. Welcome to the Karen Hunter show. Hi. You are muted. You're muted. I'm unmuted. Yes. So happy to be back on the show, Karen. It's been a while, and I just appreciate all you do. And being from Boston, I definitely uh, appreciate the story you shared. The average net worth for a white family is $247,000. Uh, for black families, it's $8 in Boston. So, yeah. I didn't know you were from I know you guys have a big room uh, studio in Boston. I didn't know that was why that you actually had a connection, which is great. We were just talking about businesses and franchises and, and why it's important, you know, for us in particular, because in our community, other people are getting wealthy and that's fine, but we are not, our dollars not circulating. And to the point you just raised $8 versus 200 plus dollars, the 200,000 plus dollars wealth, that wealth gap is, is stunning and it's generational. That's right. That's right. And it's growing, you know, daily in Boston. And Michelle Wu, who's been the mayor since 2021, you know, talks about this actively. And, you know, even in my book, when I'm talking about Black economics in one of my chapters, you know, this is a real issue. And so I'm very happy to see. And Jalen Brown has already been doing, you know, a lot of the work in Boston before this contract. And so that's why many of us in in the hoods, you know, Boston, Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan, you know, we're excited because he's not just talking about it on many levels. He's already been about it. So we want, we're looking forward to seeing even more you you mentioned um the lies about black people which is doing well you're getting a lot of great reviews it is you know climbing the charts um the impetus to do this book uh with a foreword by michael eric dyson how did this you know come about well, first of all, in terms of just, you know, publishing as an avid listener of your show, you're always pushing us, you know, to do our best and to do more, not just talk about it, be about it. And you're always talking about your publishing background and I publish other books, but I decided that I wanted to go with a, a mainstream publisher instead of self-publishing. So I went through that process. So that was kind of the technical thing. But the reason why I wrote the book, wrote the book was because there were so many people, especially people in the white suburban areas coming out of the Black Lives Matter, you know, movements and things that were happening in 2020 and 2021 who were looking for more they wanted to go to a deeper level you know go beyond the chance they still wanted to do the work so i wanted to write something that could arm them with more information in their fight but here's the thing karen when i started asking people about this book and what the chapter should be i got more stories about lies that black people were told from black people <laughs> and that that hampered their existence and their lives and so this book became a book for anybody looking to challenge the lies about black people that don't not only hamper them as black people but maybe hampered how other people looked at black people okay what's the biggest lie that we tell ourselves and each other about black people the the biggest lie that we tell ourselves is that we're not worthy of collaboration and that has been beaten out of us. You know, we've been bought into the stereotype, the seasoning that took place during slavery when they brought us to the West Indies and beat our culture out before they brought us here. This idea that we cannot work together, that we're always going to tear each other down. Everything that you all been talking about in, in your last segment on franchising and the like, this idea of trust and even how you started the show. So that has led to a certain level of climate of, of self-hate. I talk in the book about a restaurant in Boston called Yours Takeout, which was owned by the Nation of Islam. And there was a brother in there. Um, 
uh, from the mosque and he heard a black person complaining about the food and he said you know what's ridiculous mcdonald's could have you could find a roach in your food at mcdonald's tomorrow and you're still going to support that store but a black store messes up one time and you're never coming back and you know those types of stories play into our head where we feel like we got to be the best be the only black person in the room some of us get on some clarence thomas level stuff where we get to the top of the ladder and kick it down so that nobody else can get there and then many of us buy into the lies that we're not smart. You know, I interview in the book, I interview people on their anti-racist journey. And one of them, Dr. Michael Robinson, he says, you know, being the first to go to college, so many people in his family bought into the stereotypes that they didn't even try to take themselves to that next level. So those are some of the challenges that, that we have. But the biggest one is that one that we just can't work together. Mm, I, I debunk that on a regular, but I do also see yeah. how I have to fight through anti-blackness and black people um which is why i seek out people who are not infected by it <laughs> you know it's like i'm attracted <laughs> to people i'm wild wildly attracted to people who are not uh infected by anti-blackness because it's too it's a lot of work and um mm -hmm. you know for some of you you know to to eradicate some of you are leaning into urban view to get get some of that you know but you know it, it's work we have to do and we have to first acknowledge right like any any um disease you have to acknowledge that you have it right you got to right. first acknowledge we are sick and all of us all of us because it's baked into the soil of america america can only exist if it denigrated people coming from africa you can't justify putting people through the torture the torment the rape the pillage of a human de de the decimation of character of a whole entire group of people unless you have deemed those people to be inferior and that you did that generation after generation after generation so it's even hard to kind of blame folk for their ignorance, right? Because it is right. baked into the schools, it's baked into the history, it's baked into everything that somehow there's something inherently wrong with black people. Even in Florida, talking about they benefited, black the slave, enslaved people benefited as if they weren't brought here with the skills to build this country. That should be the narrative. And we, we can't just fight back with cheeky comments on, on mm -hmm. social media. We, right. have to, we have to attack it at the source, which is through the education system, through these textbooks, but also through, through these institutions that are built inherently with the bias built in. And we also are subject to the bias. So we have to acknowledge that probably more so, right? Because none of oh, this absolutely. could exist if we didn't also believe it deep down. Oh, absolutely. And, and I do my work, you know, I travel across the country working in schools, K, uh, public schools, part, private schools, charter schools, seeing the same things. I go and speak in corporations, do seeing the same thing. These, these fundamental beliefs about lies about black people, even going back to what you were talking about earlier with the salary disparities and, and how, you know, black women have to deal with, with a lot more just coming into the door is, is based on those lies. And so the goal of the book is to challenge that in every single way. We're talking about, you just mentioned Ron DeSantis, we're talking about the fake activism surrounding critical race theory and how that's problematic. We're talking about black people and, and issues relating to, to banking and the lies told about that, about swimming, about criminalization, about real estate and, and ownership and how every single challenge we've had in this country, of course, you talk about personal responsibility every single day, but you also acknowledge the root causes of it. And so people, if you don't acknowledge the root causes of it, you just look at a people and think that's just who they are. That's just what they believe. That's just all they can do. Like Malcolm X said, if you believe you never did anything, you're going to believe you can never do anything. Even in the chapter I have on I don't feel your pain, talking about black women, you know, dying uh, three times the rate of white women because of this belief that black people can experience more pain, which is also at the heart of the veterans affairs story about black veterans getting denied more, more coverage than white veterans.
It's everywhere. We're talking with Dr. Dominga. You're you're at American U. Uh, you teach diversity, uh, and there's an a, there's an assault on diversity and inclusion. Uh, and let me just fully disclose: I feel like for many companies, they only added that in the, in the summer of George Floyd to uh, it's sort of like during nine eleven when mm-hmm. folk folk who might have been you know Middle Eastern, uh, excuse me, from Northern Africa, from you know <laughs> from, uh, from you know certain cultures, maybe Muslim put an American flag in their businesses so that, you yep. know, it's almost like a Passover. I feel like yep. diversity and inclusion became like Passover for a lot of companies. They weren't committed to it because they didn't need the summer of George Floyd to say, I need more people in my company to make my company better because of the exchange of ideas will make us even richer. We won't ever have to worry about if we have blind spots when we hire people with a particular purpose for your business. How has that, dried up you know this this business oh, yeah. of diversity and inclusion yeah and, and my last five chapters of the book are all about solutions and one of them is solutions in these corporate spaces and i actually started to experience things before the pandemic because when trump was in office he came in with his executive order so right. about no dei trainings and the like so organizations that i was working with before 2016 they're like well can you kind of do it this way now or not say this or not say that so that was pre that so then yes covid i would say 2020 2021 things picked up dramatically but then that whole diversity fatigue started to kick in people started to get out more the mentality of we kind of have there was already the fatigue you know dr king talks about this or even our white liberals can be you know just as bad because they kind of look at black equality on an installment plan so you know they kind of only let it want to go so far and then they feel like they've done enough so i saw some of that and then all of this critical race theory all of this other stuff came in and made a lot of it worse so on many areas a lot of us who do this work um it has dried up you may see that companies and i know you know this Companies may be hiring more DEI people, but they're hiring younger ones who are in like their 20s and like fresh out of college who have no knowledge. So they have no and they have no budget. And so they're just there and face only. So we're also seeing some of that as well. And, and it's a real challenge for us who who believe in this work. And that's why I wrote the book to kind of help arm us who are still doing this fight and not giving up. We know that it's not supposed to be cyclical. This is supposed to be a life choice for America. We're talking with Dr. Omakanga. I'm a Congo Dabinga. It is the book is called Lies About Black People: How to Combat Racist Stereotypes and Why It Matters. Um, as for you doing research, or whatever, did you uh, get surprised? Because I know you've been studying this for a while. Was there something? Yeah. Uh, was there a lie that came about that you didn't even know? Well, most of the things you know, I, I came across. You know, I, I had a strong idea of. But the one thing that really threw me off was the story of Linda Taylor. That was the woman that everyone has come to know affectionately as the welfare queen. That was the woman, you know, who Ronald Reagan talked about, didn't mention by name, about this woman who was bilking the welfare system. And so in my chapter about Black people on government money, I dig more deeply into her story. And her story is really one of not how much about how she cheated the welfare system, but how America cheated her. You know, they they spent, this was a woman who had credible evidence that she actually killed people, uh, but like one of her roommates, but they spent more money on this trial uh, to try to convict her than they did on that. This was somebody who was was uh, a mixed woman. She endured a great deal of abuse. She dealt with mental illness, so many different types of challenges, but rather than help her, they made her a scapegoat. And then in doing research more about her, I found out more about how this country's 
history has always been there in terms of the rich exploiting welfare systems more than any other group, which tied directly, I do in the book, to the COVID situation and how people like Jared Kushner and Kaylee McEnany and all of these other people were getting more money in PPP loans, Tom Brady, than the people who actually needed it. And so I tracked that system as well. And so learning more about the story of Linda Taylor and other people we have stereotyped uh, was one of the things that really hit me the, the ability to personalize these stories, as well as the Myers family that worked to integrate Levittown coming out of after World War II. They were martyrs in, in the field of real estate, even though they weren't physically killed, but the things that they went through as well was very surprising. And then the things I learned about swimming and the history of swimming and country clubs in Washington, DC, those were the type top three things that surprised me. And we're looking at this summer, kids being demonized for breaking in the pools and it's hot That's as right. hell out there and pools are shutting down in our neighborhoods and our children drown, I think three or four times the rate of other children because of inherent bias around swimming pools and beaches, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whole oceans have and lakes <laughs> segregated. How do you segregate right. the water? But they did, they did. And also stoned a child to death for crossing an imaginary line uh, so many years ago. But it is uh, stunning to me that we can live in a world with so little compassion. And as it relates to Linda Taylor, uh, she even identified as white because she, you know, was white on her birth certificate. So, so yeah. even holding her up. But then when you think welfare, when the majority of people on welfare in this country don't have melanin, but we don't That's talk right. about that. We don't talk about that. The majority right. of people in this country on welfare are not black. But we That's don't right. talk about that. So welfare queen became a proxy for black women taking advantage yeah. of the system. And even to this day, you got poor people in Kentucky and other places that they don't want government handouts when they need it. The government's there. Yeah. You pay taxes. Absolutely. You That's need right. your teeth. You need to have health care. You're going to reject <laughs> right. Obamacare because it's got Obama's name on it when you need your diabetes medicine. Are you kidding me? This is so sick that they got people voting and moving against their own interests over melanin that no one can control. That's right. It's crazy. Are you optimistic, Dr. Debenga? I am. I am optimistic. And one of the things that makes me optimistic, you know, in, in the book, I have activities that people can do at the at the end of every chapter. But I also interview a multi-generational, multiracial group of people in the book who are sharing the anti-racist journey. And these are people who are not, many of them are not activists. They're just out there living their lives. And when I see what they're talking about and how they feel about the future, that makes me optimistic. When I go to these schools, when I go to the, and talk to young people, that makes me optimistic being up, you know how it is being a professor and seeing, you know, the the optimism in the eyes of many of our young people that gives me hope so yeah it gives me hope and and the urban view family gives me hope you know listening to all the shows seeing what you all do and 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 the movement and the people that you all have just saved on so many levels i know y'all are so humble with it but y'all are really saving lives economically socially professionally so when i surround myself with this And what y'all are doing, I have a whole chapter in here on our racial vocabulary and how we define ourselves, you know, BIPOC and all of that. And that came from you constantly talking about things relating to, you know, the global majority and how we have to change our language to embrace our power. So I talk about that in the book as well. So when we surround ourselves with people like the Urban View family, we have no choice but to be optimistic. Well, thank you. Um, you, Yes, 
who you hang out with will will definitely determine the trajectory of your life. It does matter. Birds of a feather. My mother used to say all the time, be careful who you hang out with. And this is a really cool group of people to hang out with beyond the channel, the people who listen as well, the family, including you. Let me take Jay in Virginia. We have a few minutes left. Uh, He wants to add to your conversation. Dr. Dabinga is here. The book is Lies About Black People. Hi, Jay. Hello. How are you, Karen? Good. Thank you for taking my call. And I think uh, the topic lies about black people. I think, just my opinion, I think it's a three-part thing. I think that's one part of it. I think a part of it is our miseducation. You know, they they don't teach us, and the things they do teach us are lies. And then also they have gatekeepers that keep us from getting certain information. I'm in commercial real estate, um, and I wanted to call in about the topic that you had before, but you know, there's so much information out here and things that we could be involved in that they won't allow us to even get the information to learn about. And, of course, you know, the, the Internet is out here. You know, you can research brain surgery. I mean, you may not find someone to let you practice brain surgery on them, but there's so much information out here that if we were privy to, if they would share this information, it would change our community. We have the power. We don't need them. If we just look at the amount of money that we spend annually in our communities, if we kept that money in our communities, if we only dealt with folks that look like us, plumbers, electricians, you know, the things that other communities are doing, it would it would have such an impact on our communities. We don't need them. Right. Well, there's something – Well, let me just put a caveat. We need everybody, right? But Mm -hmm. first, I feel like before, like they say, you you can save somebody else, you have to save yourself. So, you know, this conversation that we have on a regular basis on this show is not about disparaging any group. It's about us getting whole. And until we're whole, and the world needs us to be whole. I can't say it enough because even if you believe we're the weakest link, then that means the country's not going to go but so far. So even if you're not part of the community, you should want us to win and be whole because that means the country will be whole. So this is, to me, science and math, Dr. Dabinga. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. How do you want people to interact with lies about black people? Do you want educators to buy it and give it out? Christmas gifts, to, uh, you know, uh, summer gifts. Is this a summer read? Is this something yeah. that you put in your library and just keep? What, Tell us how you want us to interact with the book. I, I want every everybody to get it. Educators should be using it in their classrooms and in their meetings when they're talking about their commitment to DEI. In corporate spaces, you should really look at what we're talking about in terms of what you really need to do to go beyond, you know, performative things and, you know, fake representation. In our communities, I have an activity. I have lots of activities in the book, like the rule of seven, seven questions to really test your uh, commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you need to be getting that as well. Younger people need to be reading it so they can understand that they've been living a lot in many ways. So when you go to liesaboutblackpeople.com and learn more about the book, I am also inviting people to share their anti-racist journey as well. So there's a survey there because I want to hear more about those because I'm going to be reading them on YouTube, um, on my page as well. And I also have poetry in the book as well that, you know, is inspirational, some of it a little deeper. So those are some of the ways people can interact with the book. And, you know, if we do it again, maybe I get to share some of the the poetry as well. I love it. Are you still doing big, big room? You and Kendra? Are y'all still oh, most definitely. You know, okay. the pandemic has been what it is. You know, we have our studios in D.C. and Maryland now. And, of course, you can always join us online. And we're still waiting for you to come down and visit, Karen. Oh, no. 
I, w- I was in the neighborhood. I just totally forgot. I was trying to hit a bunch of places, but then I also put my church finger up. I was like, I got to get home. But let's continue <laughs> the conversation and have you back. Uh, and Kendra as well. Tell her I said hello. Dr. Dr. Omakondo, Congo, Dabinga. The book is Lies About Black People, How to Combat Racist Stereotypes and Why It Matters. Thanks for coming back, brother, and congratulations on your book. I appreciate you. Number one, you. bestseller on Amazon. You better do that. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.